Well, hello and welcome back to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant, and today I'm joined with Ricky Brooks. We wanted to start something a little different, counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological. We'll be focusing on what the early church saw. What we're going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible on this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We'll continue to talk about this material each week. We have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about his word with us. Well, Ricky, appreciate you sitting down with me this week. And uh, we're going to talk about sin. Specifically, that's not sin, is it? That's what I've named this one. But we're talking about the spectrum of sin. And uh, defining what exactly is sin and what's the root of the first sin. We know that talking last week, the root of the first sin comes from Genesis 3, talking about the desirous feeling for wisdom that woman felt towards the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ultimately, it came down to this as far as wisdom. Satan said she would be like God if she ate. Remember, God is the ultimate source because there's no higher power than him. So as such, in himself, he can set defined boundaries due to his infinite knowledge and understanding. But the problem was in Genesis 3, as we saw last week, is that man and woman took that into their own hands, but their minds were limited and so is their knowledge. So they had to now define almost limitless issues and determine on their own understanding what was good and bad. They're like, they had no reference point. Not on their own, they didn't, did they? No. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was some serious folly, no doubt about that. And of course, it, you know, it was it was motivated by the tempter. But I, I know you described it you described it perfectly that that sense in which that desire caused them to want to know all about good and evil, which really is like a not a metaphor, but a a continuum of what's right for me and what's not right for me, what's wrong for me and what's not wrong for me. What is my destiny? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? All of those massively major questions are heard and answered before God, by God, before Adam and Eve ever needed to ask them. And yet, the, the real sin here is not taking something in their hand and eating it. It is opening themselves up to this idea that in and of ourselves, we will self-determine what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. I will find meaning in and of myself. I will search and find my own destiny, my own purpose all of those things. And so the image of God was desecrated. They no longer became the image bearers of God. They became image bearers of self. Look at me. I can master all of this on my own, which is exactly the same thing that, that Satan had done. So he must have delighted a great deal in convincing them to do it. Yeah, the thing that stands out with me, with what they did, it echoes that uh, 
old poem by William Ernest Henley, The Invictus, where he said, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You know, in that moment, they were, instead of having the standard that God had, which was set based on his perfect, holy, and righteous character, now man and woman, Adam and Eve, had just themselves to use as a measuring stick. So everything was defined by what they could smell, taste, touch, hear, what they could experience, what they could do on their own ability. And they suffered for it. They sure did. That poetry is, you know, one way. And then there's Frank Sinatra with, I did it my way. It's the same kind of thing. Everybody sings that song. Everybody lives that, that poem. There is no sense in which anybody can say it. No, I don't do that. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, we all do. It's, it's the inheritance of mankind. And, it, and we see it in every sort of way where we have, even to the modern day, set apart the idea, set aside the idea that there is a creator. We will define our own destiny. We will even define our own identity. It's like the last bastion of, you know, waving a fist to the sky and saying, there is no God. And if there is a God and you're up there, you won't tell me who I am. I will choose my own identity. I choose my own meaning. And okay, that's, that's exactly what was left to them in their flesh, in their body, in their own brain, independent from God. They were on their own. They had nothing else to look to or to utilize to find any kind of purpose or meaning in their life. And since then, all of life has been the constant struggle to find purpose and meaning, security, significance, destiny, all of those really big ideas in life. Yeah. So what exactly is sin? I mean, it's missing the mark. We've heard that it's going against what God says, but it's even more broader than that gives us the sense of, right? It's not just necessarily an act that I do, but it can even be my mentality. It can be my identity. If I find my identity outside of the Lord, that's sin. When I when I go through a difficult trial and I live in fear and that, that's sin. And so it's more than just an act of what I do against what the Bible says. If, if we want to look at the Bible as a bunch of rules, it's not breaking the rule, but it is anything done outside of faith in God and anything I place outside of God being my number one, my complete, my all in all. Is sin. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Certainly sin is evil in the sense that it's outside the will of God. But sin is not always evil in how we typically define evil, a terrible, ugly, wicked iniquity that we perform against God, ourselves, or others. So yes, you know, it, one of the most basic words in the Bible for sin 
has in its root form, in its originality, which it doesn't bring that meaning literally and stop there into the New Testament, but it does mean to miss the mark. And so missing the mark is not the definition any longer for that word, but it bears that nuance in the sense that we are fulfilling or bullseyeing ourselves for meaning as opposed to being with God, being dependent on God, fellowshipping with God. And as you put it, that could be anything because the scripture makes that really clear. Uh, Romans chapter 14, I believe, uh, tells us that anything not of faith is sin. So sin is not an ugly word. I think most people think of it that way because unfortunately, the church throughout the centuries has used it that way. You know, that there's that kind of a imagery of a really mad preacher, right? <laughs> Standing in the pulpit. The John Lithgow from Footloose. Yeah, yeah, wagging his finger and hollering, you know, turn or burn, you evil, wicked scum of the earth. You know, there's not anything good in you. Just, you know, railing on people because of the half definition or the insufficient definition and you and i we're not redefining the definition of sin it's just in scripture that's sin is bigger than that sin is a big word that tells us anything outside of faith and fellowship in god and that, that can be anything so that's a beautiful word because it draws us back on both sides whether it's something horrible or something we've done by ignorance so drawing back to Genesis 3, what was lost in Genesis 3? How does this affect our flesh? You know, we, we talked about the loss of, well, as, as the Lord had said, you know, you shall surely die. Well, they lost something, though. You know, we, we talk about what they gained sometimes a lot, this sin nature. Of, you know, they, they lost the garden, but... You know, what was the big thing that they lost in Genesis 3, and, and how does that affect all of their descendants? There's a, a bit of a theological debate in terms of spirit and soul, and I, I don't think that's really necessary in our discussion. Because what they lost was the connection, the complete dependency relationship connection to God. They lost the joy of seeing life not only through the mind, through the ways of God, but in relationship with God. So when you're abiding with somebody, you're in, in constant connection and fellowship. You are in agreement with them, right? That's abiding. So to be in agreement with God and to do things God way, to God's ways, to see things His way, to love life because He's pouring out that joy and abundance into your life is an incredible electrifying thrill that he designed for us and they threw that away so now they have to exit the garden they get to reap what they have sown which is independence and now they don't have the same connection did god cease loving them absolutely not did God give up on them? Absolutely not. Did God look after them? Yes, absolutely. Did God have a plan for them? 
Absolutely. But since they were now seeing things through the lens of their own knowledge of the breadth and the depth and the length of good and evil, they didn't have that relationship, that fallback to innocence any longer. Uh, that connection was lost, that dependency connection with God. No more abiding, no more relationship, no more fellowship, no more family feelings with the creator. Yeah, that thing that sustained them, that relationship that gave them peace and joy and purpose was lost. Yeah. And like you said, they had to find it within themselves, what they do or, or in others. You know, maybe the Lord specifically said, Part of the curse on Eve was to essentially to find a lot of her identity in, in her husband by serving her husband, by abiding in him. And we see that through all of us throughout it. So, yeah, when when the Lord was, you know, he said to that, you know, to the serpent, the, the curse and to the woman and to the man, to the to the woman, uh, he says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There's the word desire again, which is back in verse uh, 6 or 7, right? Verse 6, when looking at the, the temptation. So we're back to this issue of desire. Well, one can have the dependent fellowship, family, abiding desire to be with the people you should be with, in this case, with the Lord, or you can have something different than that. And so this desire that's talked about here is not romance. It's not fellowship. The, this particular word for a romance, one, one famous Bible commentator said it, it, it's tantamount to a twisted, wicked disease. So it's the type of desire that we end up having that requires possessiveness, meddling, jealousy, covetousness. She's going to want him to fulfill all her needs, all her emotional needs, all her social needs. If, if Adam doesn't measure up, that boy's in trouble. And every man, and if we turn, the, turn, turn it the other direction, every man and woman who's ever fallen in love knows what happens when we have an overwhelming desire for other people to fulfill us. It's not fair to them because it can't be done. She's going to want him to be to her what God wanted to be for them. That's the desire. Of course, that's a huge burden. So she lost the fullness of the joy and the presence of God. And now what she has to do is use her flesh, her body, her brain, her emotions, all of that to meddle in the affairs of her lover. Meddle and nag and whittle away at him in making him be God. You be God to me. And the same thing for, for Adam. He's going to look at Eve the same way. He's going to look at his work the same way. All those things are going to have to become what gives them meaning in life, fulfills their purpose and their destiny. That's idolatry at its core. Yeah, and with the meaning is identity. Yes. We talked we talked about identity before, but when I find when I look through Genesis 3, I see something that is 
absolutely tragic in that, and, and I didn't see it until maybe this past year, but realizing the tragedy that a lot of us can't see in Genesis 3, that we change, what we can do changes, what others do changes, whereas in the garden, their dependence, their identity flowed from an immutable, you know, a, a term meaning unchangeable, an unchanging spring, God the Father, now it must come from the ever-changing. You know, emotional states change, my wealth changes, my achievements change, my friends change, my kids change, even, even my own physical health changes. So when I find my identities in those things, and we call that sin, I will always come back to a lack of peace, joy, and purpose. Because yeah. if I'm a father and I lose my only kid, what am I now? You know, I can't find joy and peace and purpose because I've lost it or in my marriage or in any of those things that when they change and I'm no longer stood on that canon on that, you know, immutable source that I thought was was who I was. It's gone. And Adam and Eve found that to be the case. And it was absolutely tragic. Yeah, you said that so well. People will often ask. Well, should we not find meaning in our children or our marriages? And that, that's not what we're talking about. But in an abiding relationships, especially when we're dependent on God, then we abide together with God. And there it, our family, our work, whatever it might happen to be, can be sources of joy. But ultimately, let's take the husband-wife relationship since we're talking about Adam and Eve. When the two come together and become one flesh and are living in wonderful, abiding fellowship with God, then there's a sense in which the two of them don't need each other. Now, we, of course, we understand the phrase, oh, honey, I love you. I need you. Of course, right? But if we need them at the core, at the deepest part of who we are, then as you say, everything is temporary. It doesn't have to be a divorce. It can be illness or sickness or whatever, right? Everything other than God is temporary. And so it is susceptible to going away. And if we did find that, that person, that hobby, that passion for a type of work or in more more ugly things like addictions and traumatizing behavior. When we find, when we use any of those to fill the hole in our soul, they're all susceptible to failing us. And that's the, that's the tragedy of the fall. That's, you know, because we lost the main connection, that old German proverb, the main thing must always remain the main thing. Once that's not God, everything else is temporary, soluble, able to be diminished in our life. And if you find your ultimate purpose and meaning, joy in that, you're in trouble sooner or later. So we introduced this idea of the spectrum of sin, and we have a right side and a left side. And I know when I've taught this through some of these discipleship groups, a lot of the first question is, well, is there, a, is there a value on each sin? You know, like, is this a 10, whereas this is only like a three? And that's not what we're 
talking about. We're, we're talking more so as that how far your sin continues to drive you away from dependence on the Lord. And we have two sides of this. If you are at home and you, you have a piece of paper and a pencil, you can just draw the line down horizontal across on each side. So you got a vertical line, a horizontal line, one on each end. You can have the positive or negative side of the number line, however you want to do it. But each side of that, if you start with in the center is a one and at the far extremes being a 10. On both sides. Yeah, yeah, 10 on yeah. both, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a, a positive 10, negative 10, and, and maybe a zero or starting at one in the middle. But when we talk about that, that's kind of what we're picturing here with this spectrum of sin. We separate it out. So on the right side, we have what we call the egregious sins or the, the sins that even society looks at and, and just is disgusted with. You know, those things are the things that we might say is a, is an addiction to pornography, is an addiction to drugs, is, um, you know, murder, is idolatry, is adultery. You know, those, those sins that definitely everyone can typically pick out. Well, the other side of the, the spectrum is that issue of anything not of faith is sin. So it comes as a surprise to people that we would call the pursuit of excellence we could call the pursuit of excellence sin if that pursuit of excellence becomes a larger force, a larger contentment, a, a larger producer of meaning in our life than God. So this is where the definition of sin is really beautiful because sin covers both sides. For example, let's say somebody is the best, uh, I'm a preacher, uh, and, and trust, trust me, everyone, uh, this is just an illustration, but say I'm the best preacher in the world, that uh, when I get behind the pulpit and talk, man, you know, just bazillions of people want to listen to this nonsense that this guy's got to say, even if they don't understand it, it sounds so wonderful, they want to, if that was the case, right, and then let's add to it that, you know, I, I pursue preaching with the gusto, I, I, I want people to know about God, and I want them to know about his love, but lingering in my heart, right? During the preaching act is this, is this pride, man, look at me. People are flocking to hear what I have to say. People really love it when I tell a story, that kind of thing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm filling up the holes in my souls, my soul, because people listen to what I say then even though I'm preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, even though I'm helping someone come to a better understanding of something in the Bible, the act of preaching to me is sin. And the same thing could be said of a baseball player or a doctor or someone being fulfilled in the role of a mother. It's not that they're doing something evil. It's that they're doing something that is of greater worth to them in producing their meaning and purpose an identity than God himself. This happens in, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament with David's machinations that created all that turmoil. You know, he ended up with multiple wives and so on and so forth. And he had children in his royal palace from different women. And some of them were full brothers and sisters and some halves. And the Bible tells us that one of his sons raped his half-sister. 
everybody knows that that is despicable, terrible, evil, egregious sin on one side of the spectrum. The Bible also says that this wonderful young woman, Tamar, after having been abused and then tossed out by him, hated by him, her full brother, Absalom, said, has my wicked brother Amnon done this to you? And she said, yes. Then her brother says, basically, well, never mind. You come and live in my house. <laughs> that's, that's all he's got. Well, then it says she went to live in her brother Absalom's house in desolation. So here's where I want to be really, really crystal clear. Yes, the horrible, evil trauma that someone else causes to another person, that is evil, that is sin. But when we are destroyed by that trauma, when we are hurt by those things by other people, when we engage in behavior that tries to erase that past, fill the hole in our soul, we end up going down trails of missing out on that relationship with God. The word sin covers that too. Not that you're a dirty, rotten sinner. No, but because of this evil of someone else, you've developed a traumatized lifestyle that maybe you go, even if there was a God, he would never love me. Who could love me? Or, well, if there is a God, how dare he let this happen? Not recognizing he had no part of that. You know, sin is sin and people choose sin, the bad sin. So it's a, it's a much broader term, and the Bible uses it this way, to help people to see when God talks about sin, he's inclusive. So John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, all the world, everybody, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him, should never perish, but have everlasting life. It covers the whole spectrum on both sides. So on the one side where are all the things that people would not typically think of to refer to as sin, like I just said, or, you know, well, that preacher's really preaching well, or that doctor's really practicing medicine at the highest levels of proficiency, but it becomes his idolatry. In that sense, it's sin. So, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever pursuit it might happen to be that's redemptive to society, it can still be missing the mark with God. Yeah, and I've described this to you and, and others. I'm not, not ashamed to admit it, but I've described my own life in the past few years as being on a stool with three legs. Yeah. And for me, you know, those three legs that kept me up, that, that propped me up was being married, my children, being a good father, and uh, the Lord. And going back to what we were talking about when those ever-changing things occur, when my marriage fell apart, it wasn't so much that my identity, my identity was in my, my spouse, but it was in the object of marriage in general. You know, I wanted to be the husband who served his wife and showed the world what that looks like. And ultimately, the marriage dissolved. So who was I? 
at that point. My identity was partially wrapped up in that, but it was partially wrapped up in being the best father that my kids could have. You know, I, I relished the opportunity to show other men what it looked like to be a good father. And going back to the preaching thing, my identity was being found in that, in being that type of father. And so when my marriage dissolved, while I was on a stool with two legs, and then when the potential custody battles and all those things that sometimes result from that, when that was in question, there was another source of my identity that was, was on wobbly ground. So I had one solid leg and I had a wobbly leg and the other leg was cut off and it caused me to stumble a lot. And I, I fumbled around, you know, I called you plenty of times, I'm sure in tears or in frustration, but my identity was wrapped up in that. That was sin. Yeah. And, and all of the, the subsequent emotional outrages, breaks, all of those nights of in, in terrors or in, in sleepless, restless nights, those were living in sin because my identity was wrapped up in my marriage or in my kids and not fully in the Lord, which is why we go back to living in that dependency with the Lord and living in, in complete submission and surrender in him is the way that we can live, like we said last week, without shame. That's how we live in that position where even if I was violated, um, abused, even if, if I went through a horrible post-traumatic stress event, you know, something that was so traumatic that it causes me to wake up the, the military veteran who had survived going over to Afghanistan or Iraq, and they're constantly each night waking up in terror that they're going to, to hurt someone or that that they're in that place. Those same things fall into that. They're being identified by that traumatic event. If I was sexually assaulted, then I'm being identified. That's who I am. I am the survivor or a victim, wherever you fall in that, of sexual assault. I'm a survivor. I'm an, I, that's how I find my identity in surviving Iraq or in surviving this abusive relationship or, you know, surviving as a child of abuse, that's who I identify with. Well, that's going to cause me to live in sin because I'm always going to go back to that same thing. Everything will rest on who I am and that instead right. of going back to Genesis two, when I could find my identity in the Lord, the unchanging, the ever present source of all. And when I can do that, Man, the joy that I can that I can feel, it can erase all of the, the shame, the fear, the anxiety, the anger, the sadness, all of those things that are wrapped up that continuously plague me because of those events can be wiped clean and I can truly find out I might have sorrow and I might mourn the loss of what happened, but that doesn't mean that I live in that. You know, now I find my identity in the Lord. I can find joy in each day. Even when I wake up and it's a tough day, I know that the Lord has provided. And I know it sounds like Sunday school talk, but I'm going to tell you when that mentality finally set into my heart and my mind, my world was changed. I, I no longer felt that absolute anxious feeling in my heart each day that I woke up because I knew that I don't need to be anxious about everything. You know, in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about that where I don't, I just need to focus on righteousness and God yeah. and his kingdom and all of those other things are taken care of. And lo and behold, that's what happened. So yeah, it's, it's a 
hard topic to understand. And I, I, I really stress going to the word of God and seeing what the Lord shows throughout Genesis all the way to Revelation, what sin is, because this is a hard pill to swallow. But when we fully understand this, then we can live repentant in our lives and it will drive out all of that nastiness. Yeah, amen to that. You know, it, it might help for people to recognize that Jesus and well, Jesus in particular said something, and he's talking about sin. He's talking about not being with God. You know, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, for my yoke is light and easy, and I will give you rest, for I am meek and humble, right? So heavy, weary and heavy laden, that feeling of brokenness, that feeling of, uh, right, separation, loneliness, all of that, that falls into this camp. So God's not saying, hey, you, what's the matter with you? You shouldn't be tired. You shouldn't be heavy laden. You shouldn't be weary. Shame on you. It's not that he's saying that I get it. I understand that this world is broken. So he's talking, he's talking it, but just not using the sin word. He could just as easily have said, hey, all of you who are sinning and you haven't found me yet, here I am. I'm reaching out to you. Yeah. 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 I hope we could spend more time on this because this is of utmost importance that someone not misunderstand what we're saying when we try to teach the full biblical counsel on sin, as opposed to this narrow view that it's been given, which is that ugly finger wave pointing, you know, shameful, you know, you, you putrid scum of the earth, which yeah. some of our brothers and sisters have practiced. Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah. And when we're talking about this, you know, we are fully amplifying Paul's words in Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. We are not judging. Yeah. We're not saying, you know, you are an awful person, but the effect of that sin is going to continue to plague you and your life until you can understand one, that it's a sin. We say name and defame it, right? Name the sin and then defame yeah. it in, in Christ. So yeah, that's, uh, that's big. And, and I agree. I, I think more talk about this subject in the future is going to be big and helping others to understand the truth of what the word of God says about sin. So definitely thank you for joining us in this one. I know this was a tough topic, uh, but I encourage you to, again, pick up the word of God and, and see it, look through the, the lens of abiding as you walk through and, and question, ask the Holy spirit to, to truly illuminate what the truth of sin is in our lives he can do it so thank you so we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him john 14 23 jesus answered and said to him if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him so as you walk through this week we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talked about and ask the holy spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your walk Thank you for sitting with us. God bless.